Hello, I'm Lori Woodley Langendorf from All It Takes, here to bring you our November episode of Building Trusted Spaces, the Educator Series, where we're going to speak with Graham Weissman, Shine Khalifa, and Alejandra Valencia about the youth mental health crisis that we're seeing across our state and beyond in schools, in hospitals, everywhere. The original thought, because we won't do another one of these until January, is that the holidays are not sunshine and happy moments for lots of people. And mm -hmm. so we have this ever-increasing mental health crisis, and I'll talk a bit about that. Student health crisis, mental health crisis, young people health crisis, you name it, the title is there. It has to do with educators and the students that they serve and the common thread is mental health crisis, no matter who gets put in front of it. And so that even, you know, this year is finally when some of the COVID statistics and research started to land. But those of us in the field already knew, like we didn't need research to back up what we're living every day. Mm -hmm. um, each of you in different positions, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves and why you said yes to come on this call, what you do to serve youth, that ultimately we look at our clients are the youth. So we might actually directly serve adults, but they're serving in their messaging, the youth, our youth, our young people population who don't have both the resources and sometimes depending on age, the right to actually seek some of their own support and help. And so we get to be there to support them directly and those who serve them. So each of you do that in different ways. And so I'd love to just offer the opportunity for you to introduce yourself, what you do now, what you've been, what led you to this moment to say yes, to be here right now would be wonderful. So who would like to go first? Okay, Graham, you lit up. <laughs> All right, okay. So um, I'm Graham Wiseman with Being Well, California. We're a small nonprofit up in Northern California. And um, we kind of got started because, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we each have different stories that drive us. And for me, the story that drives me um, revolves around losing our son, Colin, to, um, to suicide. He, he lost his battle with depression at 15. And, um, you know, a couple parents afterwards kind of asked how the school was on his supports. And I said, not good. Those may not have been the words I actually used, but <laughs> it wasn't good. And the middle school was even worse. So we kind of got together and thought, um, let's list all the things that we find our struggles or challenges in the schools. And then let's pick three that we can actually make a positive impact on. It took us five years, but we got wellness centers in all our high schools in the camp, in the, the district. And then we went to the neighboring district and got 30 more um, in, in that district. So we realized, you know, there is, there is hope there that caring adults, you know, the stuff that Lori talks about all the time, that caring adult can make such a huge difference. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been working on wellness centers, improving the ones that are in or helping seed ones that are starting. And then um, kind of on the sidelight, we work on a California mental health awareness license plate. Shameless plug right here. <laughs> All right. Our goal 
is to bring mental health into the light, even if it's just a traffic light. And uh, we're, we're working on legislation and have been for, for a while now to get that passed. So that's kind of what brings us here today. You know, I know from past experience that three adults, like-minded adults could make a massive change in a school district and uh, impact hundreds, if not thousands of kids. Mm, thank you, Graham. And thank you for, you know, being willing to share your story. Um, I don't know how long it took till you could share your story um, about Colin and, um, you know, the light that he is, was in your family and in the world now, right? So his light lives on forever in the work you're doing. So um, to Colin, you know, all of may all of our words, you know, be in support of the journey he took and all the students who are um, in similar places as him and families. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, Shine or Alejandra? I guess I'll go next. Um, uh, it's really nice to be in this space with all of you and um, really honored just to be here and hearing, you know, what we're, you know, what you just said, Graham, uh, really spoke uh, right now. And it's the first, you know, couple of minutes that I've, I've been in a virtual space with you, right? Um, and I think uh, piggybacking on who I am and how I got here, uh, my name is Alejandra Valencia. My pronouns are she, her, and ella. And what really led me here is um, I initially started uh, as an outreach specialist with, um, you know, I'm from Ventura County, um, working with our largest school district um, and really being that support for parents and young people, which was my first introduction into youth development. Um, which is what I specifically specialize in in the adolescent brain and um, ensuring that there is that trusted adult um, and in, in a very non-clinical approach, right? I think that's something that um, is very transformative as to oppose a very uh, transactional uh, communication you know, lens. Um, and that really led me to the work in prevention and youth development, um, working with the families and um, really providing that sense of support and eliminating those barriers for them to get access, um, especially with our most uh, marginalized communities and populations. Um, I think for them, it's, it's, it's having that access and that necessary space for them to be able to thrive in their, you know, educational journey. It's not just the student that's being, that's being put in that educational journey, but also the adult. Um, and I think, uh, you know, being there with, with the districts and supporting the districts and um, really um, adding them to the, to the table, right, and, and having them be part of that conversation, right, um, and, and I think that you just brought a really good point to that, um, you know, being that person. Um, and I think that's what led me to, you know, working for the County Office of Education um, and uh, really honing in on comprehensive health and um, working with our local youth development programs um, that really at the, you know, at the county level, at the local level, providing that direct support and really coaching um, adults to really um, incorporate youth development as a key component in when it comes to the work of prevention and how to facilitate those those conversations and that's SEL in a nutshell right it's really providing those tools for them to really succeed and be sustainable 
Um, and now the work that I do is, is very similar. And um, I now you know, work for a communications company that really works at the state level to incorporate uh, messaging around wellness and prevention and overall comprehensive health um, and what that messaging looks like from uh, equity lens and just to build sustainable and shifting that narrative um, in reduction of stigma and mental health um, and how it really affects just um, people, right? And I think that um, having that lens is extremely important and building agency. Um, so, you know, with my background, I think um, I think that's that's what pretty much keeps the work going and and building agency with folks and um, being in spaces and um, and and transforming those conversations, right? So, um, thank you. Thank you so wow. well spoken. What you're doing, amazing, both. Of you. <laughs> and I was like, that's just amazing, you know, just hearing your stories. That's so amazing to to be a part of this space too. Really echoing from what Alejandra said, you know, just thank uh, thankful for for being here, but also you know to hear your stories and and how you've turned that to help the community and and such powerful things that you're doing. Um, just want to introduce myself. I'm Shine Khalifa. Um, haven't guessed already. I'm originally from England and I think that's where things originated for me. Um, I uh, was very much, was raised in a household where community work and volunteer and, mm -hmm. and helping people was very important so I remember going as like a 13 year old and reading to the people the senior assisted living places and you know as I as I went through school um, and went through some volunteering like volunteering experiences I worked with um, a lot of populations that really had struggles uh, we, I worked with um, some young adults who had severe learning disabilities or had mental health problems and just helping them to just assimilate in society and and just helping them with those different transitions and that kind of took me down the road of education um, I became a teacher and kind of continued to work with in inner city schools um, and eventually moved over here to California and became a teacher with the West Side Union School District um, this this district has my heart and and um, I came back and I'd always thought I'd you know I've always wanted to get into leadership and I eventually moved into uh, being a VP and now a principal and and I was often questioned well why you know you 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 got into teaching um to teach students and now you're going into administration and if there's one thing that I've really learned is moving into this role has really enhanced that ability to make I made powerful connections with kids before within my classroom community but now I'm making really powerful connections with those most needed students on site on campus and that's just been so rewarding to me to be able to really hone in with those students and um help them with their emotional social needs on campus and getting to where they need to be you know they all children come with a different set of um, you know, backgrounds and social emotional experiences and so just helping them to navigate those um, and I come from a family where I'm in education but my my husband and all his family are in medicine and and some of the stories that I hear and even before the pandemic you know 
there was a lot of mental health, um, some very tragic cases. And a lot of that, I think, has has come even more so after the pandemic. Um, it's been very um, sad to see that the students have, and young adults and young children have, are having less and less access to things, but yet we have an increasing number of students who are suffering um, with those social, emotional, those mental health um, difficulties. And, you know, I'm glad to see we're coming out of that pandemic and resources are opening back up for them because I think that's one of the areas where we really saw a huge decline during the pandemic. So it's nice to be here to be talking about um, those issues that we are all seeing, but it's also nice to know that things that we're moving out of that phase and we're starting to open things back up and get the supports for these students that they absolutely need and these young, uh, young people that absolutely need that. So thank you for having me here. Thank you for being here and, and just, you know, listen to the three of you, you know, somebody who's in the trenches on a school site and I happen to know you're in a K-8 school site so you've got the middle school and the babies right you you were probably it's probably pre-K is it pre-K yeah now? we have a UPK all the way through to eight yeah so you're UPK to eighth grade so you've got a a range of students and Graham at the state level and you know working with districts and you Alejandra also like messaging to the state so I, I feel like what we have here is a broad experience, is broad experience mm -hmm. and expert knowledge that I'd love to dive into from the perspective of why. So Shine, you spoke why, Graham, you spoke why, Alejandro, you spoke why. But when we get into each different, you know, topic that you might want to bring up or that I might, you know, send out, like what, what is the experience you have around what you want to talk about, right? And so that might be like one of the, you all said something that I took notes. So, so like, oh, like we have to go to there. We have to do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, Graham, I have an AI, love a heart AIT license plate. And as soon as that mental health one comes, we're going to move that same message <laughs> onto a new plate. Uh, can't wait for that to happen. Um, one of the things that you said, Alejandra, going back to when you were sharing that caught me was that in just, a, you said something around in just a couple of minutes, you felt connected with this group of people who you had just met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love, it, I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, um, I instantly felt connected with, um, you know, with what Graham uh, mentioned and what he shared. And, and thank you for sharing that. I know it, it, you know, it takes time and to really put yourself out there and not just yourself, but, you know, really telling your story. Um, I think when it comes to sharing, um, you know, such a vulnerable um, part of yourself, it, it really, the way it resonated with me is that it really took me back to, that's how I initially started my career, um, was in actually in the K-8 uh, site. So, and I, I realized that I went in there for mostly intervention, right? And I went in there for intervention and really working with support staff in, in just providing a sense of level of intervention with students that, um, you know, they were repeats, right? They're repeat, they were in this, you know, the same students that, um, that were, you know, your 
the same students that were in the office that were in the AP office, right? Um, and I know um, Shai could maybe relate to that, um, right? So I started realizing, and at that time, that school had just uh, transitioned into a K-8, and I don't even think they were a K-8 at the time. They were go they started initially as a K-5, and they were up to a K-7. And I realized that all of these kids, they've been together since they were babies, since they were at the kindergarten level. And, you know, the area that they, the, the area that that school was located, you know, very rural area um, with very limited resources. And I had just come in and I was freshly out of college. And this was my first really exposure to the, to the, not the lack of resources, but the level and, and the lack of uh, promoting youth programming, right? They're running a an elementary school site. I mean, they're running in a middle school, a, a middle school with elementary school resources. And mm -hmm. if you're, and if you are in education, you know that those are two very different worlds, and especially in youth development and the development of young people. And because when you know, when that first exposure to middle school, you have a sense of creating identity. And you have the opportunity to really um, gauge who you want to be, and you have you you are more exposed into being more independent and having that opportunity. And I realized that me being in meetings about intervention over and over and over again felt like I was you know coming to a dead end, and um, I was getting nowhere. And especially with parents, right? And I, I took a needs assessment, a, a, a visual needs assessment of what needs to really happen here. And I have a small cohort of students that are just very eager and they're hungry and they have an appetite to really speak and really share what their wants are and what their needs are. And this is, and they may not be able to articulate it, you know, whether they're not well. Right. And it was very and it was very apparent and visually they were pretty upset. You know, they were they their behavior was just off the charts. And um, you started shifting that you started notice. I started noticing the change um, in the way that they would their relationship with the adults at the school and with administrators and with teachers. And there was such a disconnect. Um, and, but they were just, for, you know, a sense of frustration um, that they weren't getting what other students were getting within that district. And they may, like I said, they may not, and with students, they may not, you know, be able to articulate that they're not well, right, and that they're going through a lot of stuff, and that in itself is trauma, right, that in itself is, is, is social trauma, interpersonal trauma, and, and a, a sense of frustration, and um, like I said, they may not be able to articulate it in a sense, but with students, it's all in the behavior, right? It's all in the behavior and uh, middle school. And, and this is why some folks, you know, they steer away from middle school and uh, scare, and it's very scary. And what resonated with, um, with Grant and what spoke to me is this, the wellness center and having a space to really call your own and really have students being able to just have a space to just vent or if they're feeling some type of way, right? 
when we hear that someone's feeling some type of way, they may not be able to communicate that, but we pretty much know that uh, it's it's just a way for when when adults, right, with with just in general, everybody, if they're feeling some type of way, everyone deserves a space to feel some type of way. And I think validating that and really validating young people into into having a space and when that space is not being provided, that is uh, a recipe for uh, that is a recipe of of just you know a, a recipe for destruction, and that and and what it does to a young person's mental health is deteriorating, and uh, and and that's something that a lot of young people carry into adulthood, right? Um, because you have your environmental, you have your social, you have all of these different variables that um, with some people they 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 don't know how to navigate that and it's very scary and um and it's and it's and it's a very scary place to be um when you don't have a you don't have that connection with adults and with some you know um the uh, having parents that you know that just they're they're just not you know they're working all the time and they don't they they don't realize they don't know what they don't know and that's also okay Right. And that and that's not their fault. It's just, you know, oftentimes with parents, you know, they do depend on the school to to be able to provide that space. And I think when there's a level of disconnect, it, it, it really does cause a lot of harm. Right. And and so, for some people, you see the effects within your home. And and unfortunately, um, for some, it's you know, it's it's a the closing of the options. Right. And the closing of of wanting to ask for help because. That's just not something that is uh, that was ever aspired or, or or implemented, which is why I think um, that's when I really got the first sense of of youth development being just a key component in someone's social and emotional learning. So, yeah, thank you. Like now, I have a whole bigger list, Alejandra. Like, <laughs> I'm going to ask. Um, actually, Shine, I'm going to ask you to respond first, Graham. I know you have lots to say too. <laughs> No, I just, you, you both have so much to shine. I want to just pick up what Alejandra just said. And, and, you know, you said the door, they shut the door. And I wonder if there's a lot of our kids, my experience is, and then I wonder your thoughts that never open that door. They're not culturally in their culture and their families. They don't talk about these things, right? So it's, it's not something that always gets shut down. So we have a, a cohort of kids who never had it to begin with. And then we have kids who do shut it down because there's nobody there for them. My why is before I became a mother myself and as a teacher, I was always like, I love teaching. I love kids. And I was like, I would always want to do the best by every student that I came across. But when I became a mom, my whole perspective changed. And I was like, how can I help these parents and help these children? And why, what's my why? So my why changed and my why changed to this. It changed to what would I want the teacher of my child to do? What do I want my child's classroom to look like? What do I, and now what do I want my child's school to look like? How would I expect her principal to deal with this issue so I now deal with it still as a parent what would my expectation be as that parent what do I want for my child and I would 
when I so I address issues using that and that's my my new change in my life and that's really helped me um, and I think it resonates really well with our community too they see that they see that genuine that authentic uh, that authenticness and it and it really it, it's nice it, it makes it's validating for me you know because you know at the end of the day when you go home you're sometimes very tired and exhausted but when you see those those thankful parents when you see those smile when you when you're able to turn the frown to a smile it really makes such a difference and you know we have this amazing counseling program here it's really um it's really driven by Kristen Fry one of our directors and she has an amazing counseling program um we have our counselors go into every single classroom every single month to present a, a skill um a social emotional skill for students um and coping skills and different stress. it's very grade specific it goes all the way from UPK to eighth grade. Um, and that has been really, really powerful. So they not only have access to the council where the council goes in um, and works with them on a skill every month. For example, last month's was zones of proximity. Um, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of different um, um, a lot of different topics. Every month is a different topic. And that just not only makes the counselor visible to the students, but, you know, it also provides those opportunities to help those children with those coping skills and with those strategies to be able to deal with mental health or social emotional learning. So, and they actually get together collaborative as a counseling team across the whole of our district. Um, and they get together maybe every week or every other week and they come up with lessons. So the lessons that we have here will be done at every single school site across our district. And they are amazing, really amazing. Sometimes it's, you know, um, impulse control. Sometimes it's how to deal with friendships, how to deal with peers. And you know, I was just at an Aximar, a breakfast mart meeting this very morning, and and there was talk about the ever increasing, um, the ever increasing roles that we're taking on as educators. You know, initially we were we were charged with educating students, and then we were charged with feeding them breakfast, and then we were charged with providing after school hours and then we were charged with you know I, I remember being this was in England I remember a parent coming to my reception teacher my kindergarten teacher and saying when are you going to teach my child manners <laughs> you know there's that ever increasing you know more and more duties on the educator and on the schools and and essentially just as it was mentioned in this meeting this morning the school is now the village. We, we've taken on so many more roles. And I like the fact that in our district at Westside Union, we have this amazing counseling program, which really addresses a lot of the things that you were seeing not happening, Alejandra, that we were seeing like, so now we have academic counseling for high kids who are failing in junior high. We have a regular, uh, we have a we contact parents, we request counselling consent so that students can connect with a counsellor as and when they need to. Um, we provide students with hot passes when they need to, to be able to come to admin, to be able to go to the, this uh, counsellor. So, and in addition to that, we have like campus climate assistance. So it's three people that are not there just to supervise. They're there to do those regular check-ins with those 
tier two, tier three students that need those emotional, social supports um, and guidance on how to engage and how to interact on campus and, and just help them navigate those really difficult times especially since coming back from COVID. And so we do things like lunch bunch activities where they have the opportunity to go and do crafts. And we had our junior high students, all the kids go out, they don't want to, they don't want to spend their their lunch time with some CCAs. So we have the CCAs out there and they were making those, you know, those new bracelets. And it's just so really amazing to see that you've got these seventh and eighth graders just to switch off and engage in an activity where they could just have fun and join in when they want and step out when they don't want to. And it's just amazing that we have that program in place. And it definitely is kudos to um, the director and our district for making sure that we are providing those extra supports to fill in those gaps and those needs for those high need students that need those. Yeah, and I think- and I think, you know, from where we were then to where, yes. you know, we are now, it's changed so much, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, being at sites, right, when you're witnessing, you know, firsthand um, the, 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 you know, the results of not having all of those things, right, um, it really validates uh, why, you know, advocacy is extremely important, right? And I think um, being in, an educator, right? There's, you know, I remember someone told me, you know, uh, as an educator, you educate and you don't advocate. And I always questioned that. I always, I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, well, if we educate folks on why these things are important and why students really need a, uh, uh, you know, a counselor and a counseling team and activities and incentives to build that connection with school sites, that's going to create connection not only with adults, but also their immediate loved ones, right? And it's, and it really supports their development um, and, 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 and their why, right? Why do I like going to school and why is it extremely important? And I think, you know, with COVID, it really amplified that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, what a, what a difference, right? And, and going back, you know, to, to, to the missing pieces of, of, you know, that infrastructure, right, <laughs> that I mentioned earlier, um, that, uh, like I said, it's, it's just, you know, you, you see what, what's missing and, 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 and how to advocate for those things to really be put in place. So um, I think the advocacy piece is extremely important and continuing to, to, to advocate for, you know, social and emotional programs and um, youth advocacy and and what youth and and voice and their engagement and what that looks like um, for for a healthy development, right? Yeah. And that educate, not advocate. Oh my goodness! I want to say educate and advocate. Right. right. Yeah, I had never heard that before. Grandma. I had never. Yeah, like it used to be. Yeah, educators thought of themselves as educators, not advocators. And mm-hmm. I, I hadn't heard that. Um, I think that there's some some really great slogan in there, educate and advocate or you know, educators or advocators. And if they're not, they're not doing their job. Graham, just in response to these two beautiful humans who <laughs> obviously are, you know, making big impact and where they are. And but I, I'd like to ask you, we we got a lot of there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of 
a lot of good things happening. But I know from where you sit, there's not enough good things happening yet. And, and, and you've got to be worried about that. Like we, we bump into each other here and there and did recently get to meet you in person for the first time after a couple of years on Zooms. Um, just what are your thoughts on that? Like what's missing? There is um, kind of just going back a little further in, in that looking at, you know, schools, supports that were in schools, the change, you know, um, we referenced the change on, on what school responsibilities are. When I, I saw my school counselor once in my entire high school career, and that was, they looked at my grades and said, you don't have good enough grades to go to college. I guess you're going to community college. Next. Exactly, and that's exactly my experience with my school counselor. Exactly. That was it. So when we look at what we have, we, we have to be thankful and grateful for all the wonderful kids. I mean, when you started talking about having counselors go into classrooms once a month to talk to children, to give them the vocabulary, or let them know, hey, you're not the only one struggling with this. What an amazing, amazing change we've had and we've gone through. Um, you know, as we look at where our kids are, one of the things that um, I see as a, a risk, kind of, you know, like a little risk is when our kids come to school, they get dropped off by these caring and loving parents who, if they come back to campus an hour later, have to show an ID, prove that they're not on the national uh, register of child offenders. And then they talk through the bulletproof glass to somebody who can't hear them and isn't quite sure what they want them to accomplish. And so there's this struggle to communicate. I was recently um, touring a wellness center in East Contra Costa, I live in Contra Costa County. And um, we, we heard of their multi-year program on, on implementing the wellness center. And after we, we heard you know, what they had done and, and saw the results, we asked, where, what was the parent input? There was none. In the four years from inception, planning, um, implementation, and then fulfillment, there was no parent input. And that really alarmed us because um, you know, these are some of these little babies that are getting dropped off. Their most important and cherished thing on the world. And to not give them a voice, to, as in cutting the parents out, and think that was okay. You know, how do you stop someone mid-sentence and go, whoa, whoa, whoa what are you doing? <laughs> um, without sounding um, like you're criticizing what they've done. So um, that's really one of the challenges that, that we have is that there's what we believe are three legs of mental health support. That's the educators, the students, because they, they support each other too, you know, and then the parents. And if we don't have all three, we have not built a stable platform. So there is a, a pushback in the state of Texas on wellness centers in which parents are saying, I don't care about all this SEL, LMNOP stuff. I just want my kid to get into Harvard. And they're like, well, that's the parent that really needs <laughs> But it's a loud voice and some people behind them are going, yeah, that's right. You know, um, So I think one of the things is as we get um, further along on, on especially implementing SEL in our schools and stuff, I would think if you stopped every other parent as they came by to drop off their child and asked them in two sentences or less to describe SEL, 
you get an interesting assortment, but very few of them actually understand what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. And so it seems foreign. And um, Chime, you may not know that I'm also an immigrant from England. I'm from Kingston on Thames. But <laughs> no traveled. way. Yep, yep. Moved around the globe a lot. My dad was a consulate uh, uh, with the United Nations. So um, wow. Always, always trying to blend in. But, Did you, know, you say Stoke on Trent? No, Kingston on Thames. Kings. Oh, not a southerner, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's now all been absorbed into Greater London, but back then we were independent. Um, but, you know, Lori's question is, is kind of pointed to some of the scary statistics that are coming out about, um, well, I quoted a, a study done a few years back, but they went to 377 countries and measured the suicide rate after a, a calamity. And those were earthquakes, flood, or fire. And so some of them, like, um, were immediate, like after an earthquake, the next year, the suicide rate jumps about 60%. But the really scary one is the one that keeps mounting. So if we look at the pandemic from 1918, 1919 was not the peak of, of losing people or 1920 or 1921. It was 1922, it was four years after the pandemic that the real impact was felt. And so that's one of the things that we in education, you know, people that are in the trenches, uh, people that are you know, working at county and state level are, are really um, have to keep aware of is that we're, we're not only out of the woods, we're just entering the woods. And, and it's important to understand that it's a dark, scary place. So giving those students the skills, the ability to communicate what they're really feeling is critical. Having parents who understand what the kids are saying is just as important. And um, surprisingly, I've been getting a lot of calls from districts asking us to come in and talk to their teachers, addressing you know, teacher burnout, the, the staggering number of them that, that don't wanna work there. I think LA Unified had 75% of the teachers said, yeah, I'd be happy to go somewhere else. That's really, you know, that kind of translates down to the students. They can feel that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do we, how do we keep things going? And, you know, kind of going back to that why, the why I, I constantly am throwing an elbow and putting myself in meetings and, and getting, you know, invited or not to school board meetings and so forth, is that I go to school board meetings all the time and I am the only parent there because there's an assumption that the school is going to do good for their kids. We need to validate and continue that assumption and let parents know. So communication, I think, is something that's really been lacking uh, for schools to let parents know what they're doing, why they're doing it, and, and how it works. Now, um, getting parents involved is not easy. And in fact, at my local high school, uh, the one, my, my kids went to, there was only 10 parents would show up 10 o'clock on the first Thursday of the month for the parent club meeting. There was no tea in that because there was no teachers. They were, they were busy working. And what it did was it, it, it gave a parent voice of only those who were available to volunteer their time at 10 o'clock in the morning. It really skewed what was being taught, you know, thought was, this is what the parents think. It was not what the parents think. 
but it was getting portrayed that way. And so when they were getting this, the wellness centers were going in and we're getting pushback, immediately recognized the issue was education of the parents and making sure that they understood what was going on. So it's, you know, there's, there's a, my, we, we've lost four kids in our district in the last 12 months. And there's only four high schools. Um, and that's not the ones who've gone off to college that we've lost, just the ones we, I sat down with a parent the next day and she was asking you know, what a lot of parents, why? why, why did this happen? Why did she feel she couldn't come to me? Why did, and there was this big long, you know, series of questions she had all doing the same thing, why? And the real answer and the one I really couldn't share was that your daughter didn't want to let you down. She didn't want the idea of the perfect child to die with her. And then when we lost her, you know, this was a kid taking six AP courses as a junior, editor of the school paper, captain of the lacrosse team, trying to get into Ivy League colleges, and you know, an AP course, but what does AP stand for? Can anybody help me out on that? What's AP stand for? As a school counselor background, I should know that, but I didn't do high school. Is that a good enough excuse? I don't think so. Yeah. And my excuse is I did my high school in England, but it's advanced placement. Advanced placement. placement. You're absolutely right. Thank Academic you. pressure. So these, oh, oh, <laughs> I prefer that one. <laughs> it is, you're right. These, oh yeah. These, these AP courses are, are intense. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a real push for kids to try and do that. I live in a relatively affluent area. And um, when the state was coming through, they were doing some question and answer time about mental health resources, a program they had co collaboration between the Office of Ed, school districts, and county behavioral health. So the idea was to bring all three together to help provide services within a county. I pointed out to the, the, the decision-making team that even though in my local school district, 92% of the kids go on to four-year college, our rates of suicide ideation and, and um, chronic depression were the same as they were for Alturas, which is way up north in Modoc County. So it, it didn't really tie in with, you know, if you're tall or small, large or round, but you're poor, these pressures are there. And so I, I feel that in school districts where they measure achievement on how many kids are taking, you know, six AP courses, that's, that's a tricky one. To, and I, I get a tremendous amount of pushback on we need to limit those APs because you're adding, you're adding so much pressure. And that's where they all are. You know, all our kids are struggling with pressures from society, from home, from the future, what they're looking at. And then we add a liberal do dose of um, pandemic onto that. And we're really looking at um, a tough time. There was a guy at the University of Colorado in Boulder came out with something called, what you are is where you were when. And it is, um, it's actually a sales technique, <laughs> but it is 
trying to guess someone's age. You just make a rough guess. And then you think, well, when they were 10, what was going on in the world? So if I use me as an example, when I was 10, we had the Arab oil embargo. Um, the United States had just pulled out of Vietnam and Richard Nixon had just resigned. We also founded the EPA because we got tired of breathing that beige air you know, <laughs> that Los Angeles was famous for. What's that mean? That means as an adult, I don't, I don't count on commodities. You know, people will say, Graham, why do you have two gallons of milk? There's no way you can drink two gallons of milk before it goes off. I know, but they might shut off the cows, right? It's, it's, it's not a logical thought process, but it is me compensating. I also, um, when a politician starts talking, I'm thinking, oh, it's Richard Nixon again. It affects how I listen to people speak on that. It also um, taught me that if there's a big enough challenge, you can make a difference. You know, when our rivers were catching fire and the birds were dropping out of the sky, we could make a difference. And, and that was really important. So now let's fast forward to what about kids who are 10 now? What are they gonna think? How are they gonna go through life? And it's up to us as people in their lives at this point to make more of those positives, like founding the EPA, than people being able, able to focus on the negatives, uh, politics and stuff like that, that can really you know, get someone down. That's, that's kind of a percolating along in the back. And I know it's not something people think of right away, but we have an opportunity here to, to change the message as kids go home and have the parents more receptive to hearing that message of, you know what, I, I hurt my leg, but I also kind of, I'm not feeling all that good. And having just, just as much empathy and listening from the parents and support. And I say parents, I mean, caregiver, grandparent, whoever that one is, that one is that's taking care of in their life. There's so many questions that I could just jump from there. And Alejandra, I wanna to come to you to respond about your community, but before I come to you with that, a, a couple of things that um, I just want to speak to that feels like somewhat unanimous need and all spoken differently between the three of you, but you all speak to conversation or community, right? Everybody's talked about whether you're, whether it's going pretty well or it's not going well, or you see it as a need, or you see both some places it's doing well or some places it's doing not. Graham, you said something that I, I tied, like you all mentioned SEL and, you know, not really understanding necessarily what that means. And I feel like it's really important in messaging that our families start to, that we are communicating and not in an article that goes home, like communicating in heart space, that SEL are skills that help our kids navigate really hard times and help them maybe reduce their chances of a mental health crisis. It's not an exact science, right? So we could, you know, we can explore resiliency and practice resiliency. And I want to say explore and practice because I'm a big believer that the worksheet's not enough. And Shine, you're talking about the thing of the month, and I hope all your classrooms or as many as possible are not just getting the lesson, but then practicing the skill and pointing out when the skill breaks down and then pulling up our muscles and doing it some more and that our teachers are practicing it also because so often in that SEL world, Graham, you said our adults 
you're getting more and more asked to come and talk to adults. That's where we spend most of our time now. We were a direct service to youth. We spend a lot of our time with the adults now because they're falling apart. And there's this big wedge between wanting to be the educator and not the advocator. And I, it's hard to say that out loud because I want to believe that every teacher wants to be both and they don't. But I really do believe that the reason they don't is because they don't know how. Not because they don't want to. You're not in education if you don't care deeply about the kids. Like, I just cannot believe, no place in my being can believe that our teachers want to not be advocates, but they don't understand. So you spoke a lot about the parents not understanding and feeling welcome and understanding how to approach. I feel like our teachers and our classified who are all part of the education ecosystem don't have the skill set to know what it looks like to be a buffer for a child who's experiencing either a crisis or is pre-crisis. And that one person or 10 people, hopefully 10 people can be the buffer on a school campus that prevents the crisis word from showing up. It's not going to prevent a depressive moment. It's not going to prevent an anxiety for some kids before a test, but it might prevent those things from becoming critical need. And I, I just feel so hopeful in the work we're doing with educators, but also more convicted because they really, we think as management that they understand and they don't. They don't understand the skill. We don't ask teachers to teach calculus if they haven't learned, really learned math. But we're asking our teachers to be advocates. Like that's such a great way to say it, right? And our custodians and our cafeteria workers and our office staff and our principals. And, and we have to actually have all of us step into that role because there's not enough counselors to go around. There's not enough. So I wanted to have that. I just wanted to add on that. You know, one of the things that we're implementing, um, and and this is um, probably our second year now, um, is capturing kids' hearts. So, you know, I'm sure you've seen those um, viral videos that go around and the teacher does an individual check-in with a student at the door, whether it's a fist bump or a high five or that, you know, the, the, the little dance, the shake that they do. So we actually have that implemented here on campus and we're in, we're in year two of that. Um, and we, we our teachers all greet um, the students at the door. And, and we have a lot of, we offered that training to a lot of our classified staff as well. And we're, we're continually rolling that out. And so that's been very powerful. And I remember one of the statistics um, that when we were going through this program, it's like, it just takes one person, one adult on campus to, to connect with a student. And that is that could sometimes be all that child needs, just to know that there's that one person on campus that they can go to should they need to. And so we've been really working with that, you know, whether it's greeting the kids at the door, having a social contract in the classroom, starting off the morning with good things, so they share good things when they feel ready to, um, and then just, you know, building that classroom community. So I think, you know, educators, despite being burnt out at times, they are advocating for their students 
um, you know, we, we do have some amazing educators that definitely are doing both pieces. They're advocating and they're educating at the same time. And so, you know, we, we definitely, I, I think I just, when you were talking about that, I just thought that's a program that really is there to support those students and just make connection with all kids on campus. And the key is all sometimes, right. Yeah, sometimes they need like handholding on it. Yes. Um, one of the things, you know, it's, you never know what you get drawn into. I'm on the postvention team for the CDE when they have a suicide on campus uh, or, you know, within a campus, a student or a teacher. Um, they don't include parents in that. Um, but, <laughs> you know, choose your battles. But one of the things um, that I learned very easy, early was that um, people want to be told what to say, not you need to, but here's how to. And, and that, you know, we had, there's a lot of experts, you know, on so, suicide and postvention intervention teams and so forth. And, it, you know, I was watching the faces on Zoom and finally I said, go into the classroom, say this, acknowledge the loss, let the kids talk, don't talk about means, don't go off on this. And they're like, that's what, you know, we were an hour and a half into the meeting before we got to that. So, that, you know, how does that work? So we, um, when I'm talking in, to teachers, I actually do, I call it Mr. Oblivious. And um, so he's the new English teacher. Mr. Oblivious comes in and the student comes up and says, oh, I've had this mental health challenge. And the first one is to, uh, you know, the first response is, hey, buck up. We all have challenges in life. The second you know, student comes up and it's, um, oh yeah, you know, that's really bad. You know, I had something just like that happen to me. And then they go off and make the story about them. The third response is to completely overreact. You know, um, let's, let's pull the fire alarm, shut down the school. And then the fourth and final one is how to actually respond when a student says, I'm having this challenge. And that's landed pretty well. And, you know, it, it's done with, with humor and, and, and trying to connect with people that way. But that's often what they need. You know, when you talk about that um, caring adult on on this, sometimes people don't know how to share that. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to open up. Yeah, and, and that's a. I want to ask Alejandra to to share about your community and and the community that you came out of. I know you're working not so much directly with students anymore, but when you were, and I know um, with the county, um, just to just to respond to what you're hearing, and then. Graham, you know, to come back to what you're saying, like the skill set, but I want to talk about vulnerability and the fear that our educators have around sharing and how that might diffuse their authority and their power and, and our thoughts on that, because um, all the research yeah. says it's the opposite, but we still struggle with getting teachers mm -hmm. to feel comfortable with that. So um, Alejandra. Would you yeah. like to, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, and you just touched on something that I was already marinating about, you know, the sense of, um, you know, having that transactional relationship, right, as to opposed of a transformative one, right? And I think, you know, and, and I think when it comes to, you know, me being part of, you know, uh, you know, early in my career, I was more in that direct service and really um, working with young people, especially middle school and high school, and then um, working in different community programs with different CBOs and working directly with behavioral health. Um, 
and continuing to advocate for more, you know, promotion of youth advocacy and youth programming and what it really does to a young person and their families. Um, but and and piggybacking on what you were saying, Graham, is um, I was also part of, you know, promoting safe talk and how to identify those invitations um, and, and really promoting that. Um, and I'll share something very, you know, very brief, you know, I had a friend who, who, who did unalive herself when I was in college, right, and I grew up with her, um, you know, throughout my childhood, elementary, middle school, and, um, you know, I was in college, finishing up my last quarter, and, you know, I got a call, I got a call saying, you know, have you spoken with, um, with, with, uh, with my friend, right, and, and, and just for the family out, you know, oh, let's call her, you know, Suzanne or something. So um, uh, just out of respect. But, um, and I said, no, I haven't spoken to her. But prior to leading up to that, you know, they were at, you know, different phone calls. There's a phone call. And, and you know, I was just in college. I was just, you know, doing my thing, right? Doing, just, just living my life, right? Existing. So, um, you know, time, time went on and, 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 you know, I finally got a call from, you know, her sister and they're like, have you spoken with, so with, you know, with Suzanne? And I said, well, no, I haven't. Um, and then I just kept getting all the calls and, and the next, you know, that next day, you know, it's like, oh, she jumped off the bridge. And I said, uh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, I was not expecting that. And it, it, for, for me, I couldn't really figure out how I was feeling and, and grieving. And I know for people, grieving is, is just very different, right? It's not all across the board the same. And so, you know, a few years later passed and I was taking a Safe Talk training. And for those of you that are not familiar with Safe Talk, you know, it's a suicide prevention um, training that really helps and identify um, signs of suicide and being comfortable with using the term suicide right and and destigmatizing and being that support and being um trained right and trained in safe talk and as we were going through the workshop and identifying invitations and what to look out for and if you see this 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 and this chances are is that they're thinking about suicide and asking the direct question are you thinking of suicide and and I thought about that moment. It took me back to those to that time. And all of those things happened, right? And, and um, the invitations were there. And if I would have known what I know now about invitations and suicide prevention and how to uh, relay that support and resources and be that, you know, that, that guide or that person to seek support. And chances are, is that, someone, someone, someone giving out invitations, right, is because they want the help that they are not currently receiving. And that was it. And if they somebody doesn't identify that, then that's it, right. So it took me it took me a minute to just to connect the dots, but I connected them. And I feel like you know, if we have more folks that are trained in, you know, the way that we have folks trained in CPR, right, um, then we would be able to recognize the signs, right, and that's always um, something that I always thought, think about whenever, you know, I would do safe talk trainings and, and work with students and work with educators, 
um, and work with parents and um, really putting that out there because when it comes to suicide, suicide doesn't discriminate whether you are in this tax bracket or this other tax bracket or you come from certain communities. Some communities are affected differently, but when it comes to suicide, it, suicide doesn't discriminate. And, and, it's, and does that mean that we should focus just on this population? No, it, it, it's all across the board. Um, so I think, uh, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, being of, of how to react, and I think for a lot of folks, it's, it's, it's very, you know, they, it, you know, whether it's culturally or it's something that is just not spoken about. And I think you mentioned something like the different responses, like how to respond. And, uh, you know, we do this, this part where it's like, well, you're not thinking about suicide, are you? So things like that, that is just so... Uh, you know, you're like, well, well, no, but it's, you're allowed to not be okay. And the way that, you know, folks view that um, really has a lot to do with it. And and for those that really want that support and really want that, um, they're giving out those invitations that they want to be better and they want to feel better. Um, so, but I think when it comes to, and I'm sorry, Laurie, can you go ahead and remind me of the question? No, you're, you're, <laughs> you need to speak right now. You're fine. It's all, it's all good. And that, you know, what you are responding to is exactly what we're hoping for on this conversation that people. And I think, yeah, have, I think, um, you know, going back to, I know that I don't, and I'm not in the schools anymore, but um, I think when it comes to working with, you know, with educators, it, it really needs to be more of a, a transformative relationship and, and, you know, and, and what does agency look like, right? And building on what folks think is a limited agency. And, and it may, and in a lot of cases, it does tend to be because, you know, either the student doesn't know that they have their own agency and the teacher, and there's all these hierarchical, uh, elements when it comes in it when it comes to education and that's extremely unfortunate um, and that's um, that's an infrastructure um, then I think if we come at it from a more you know uh, of a lens of being more transformative as to oppose of you know more of a transactional meaningless conversation like with the glass and but you know chances are is that they were put because of you know what's happening right and and, and that's also unfortunate that uh, unfortunately we can't have these transformative conversations because of other things that are, you know, current events. And, um, and that's always so saddening, right? And it's always, uh, you know, how do you address these issues or how do you address um, wanting to shift the narrative of, of, of equality and equity and and build sustainability in someone's educational journey. And, you know, teachers, you just not feeling like they are valid in, um, in the work that they're doing. And I think it really should come from um, their own healing, right? They are suffering trauma as well. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it exists. And I think letting folks know that as a young person, you're, you're allowed to exist you're allowed to be here. Like you deserve to exist and you deserve this space and you this is space is necessary. And oftentimes that space tends to get limited or eliminated if in some cases. Yeah, it does. And I, I would, uh, if, if it's a good time to respond to a couple of things that you said that just really struck me. So Graham, you brought up, 
you know, the schools that come in and with families and parents approaching and, uh, you know, with the vinyl uh, plexiglass. And then Alejandro, you just spoke to the fact that he had brought that up. And, and I want to bring it back to that. And just, I try to look at this a little differently. At the beginning of this call, Alejandro, you said within just a couple minutes, you felt close and trusting of Graham, right? Graham shared something that was very real for him in a way that was truthful and authentic and, and come from obviously a lot of healing, right, Graham, that, you know, I don't know you always, healing is different for everyone. The journey is different that we, through healing, we get to a place where we can talk about hard things from a more calm place. That doesn't mean, and I don't know if I'm jumping too far here, that, that the, the pain is always gone. I can't imagine that it is like, it's, not, but we get to a place in healing where it can exist and we can live forward. Um, and I just want to share that I think prior to the pandemic, nobody would have thought that we could have that kind of closeness on a Zoom call that fast. And I want to say that I ran groups with kids in masks where teachers are like, I can't see their faces. And it was like really all tense. And I'm like, but if I look at this child through these with eyes like this, this kid knows I'm here for them, period. This child knows that I'm in connection with them. So we tend to minimize our possibility, in my opinion, of creating relationships because of circumstances instead of our relationships overcoming the circumstances. We're so often the circumstances make us mad and we judge them and we don't like it and that person doesn't like it and I'm all warm and friendly, but I meet a school secretary who's like tired and frustrated and can't hear me. And so the approach I get back is not warm and fuzzy. And it's really just a reaction to her circumstances or his circumstances. But if we stepped into our adult SEL muscles and believed in our possibility of overcoming the circumstances because the relationships are more important, we could make some different decisions. I really think that we could. There's a lot of reason in the world right now to basically, you know, hibernate, pull within, close everything out. So much pain, so many things we don't know how to do. I don't know how to answer that kid, Alejandro, who walks in the door and says, you know, or at Graham, I'm feeling suicidal. Call for the sky, the school psych, right? We got to train our families and our, our parents and our education system to be able to just say, wow, that sounds like it's a really hard thing to be feeling right now. We don't have to have the answers. We just have to have the willingness to learn. Like you said, Graham, they want to know what to say. But we have to be willing to learn what to say. And that's where I think part of our job is. And it's what I see my job. Like, how do we open the window to desired learning, to be able to be an advocate and advocate without needing to be a counselor or a school nurse or a principal? If I'm a teacher, I don't need to be those things. And I can still be really great at my connections with kids. And then Alejandro, you were talking about the teachers. Yes. Like, but I want to say all of the school system, I, I read an article or no, this is a tweet. This is just something I read that came across and I'm going to read it. And 
It says, I noticed that our lovely janitor gets treated like an outcast. So I made sure to drink coffee with him daily in front of the gate. Today, I was in a hurry to get to the office. He came to my office with a cup of coffee and awkwardly goes, thanks for being my friend. We're really in this together, relationally, and everything we do or don't do is impacting someone. And if we're impacting negatively someone who's another adult who impacts kids, then their impact with kids can't be as strong and loving because our impact on them was something other than strong and loving. So that's that's my riff there. <laughs> um, and, and the pitch and the need for us to be really seeking understanding of, of the skill set to be better humans relationally with everyone. Each of us on this call together as we leave the call. Um, so there, there's what I wanted to add to that. Uh, you know, I um, want to read a, from an article, the big study that was just re just done, and you may have seen it. CNN did a big article, big thing on it yesterday. It's going to be a series, um, and and this goes into. I'd love to hear from each of you. Like, if you had a couple of tips, especially going into the holidays, what do the adults who serve youth? That's every adult who serves suits. Let me try that again. That's every adult who serves youth. A piano teacher for 50 minutes, the AP teacher who's like driven to get those tests passed, the principal shine who's like, hey, my office is a warm place. Whether you blew it or you just want to share something, my office is a warm place. Alejandra, I think that the editing and the projects that you guys are creating right now to be messaging across the state, Graham, what you are doing as you're speaking to educators, you know, all over. This, this quote at the end, towards the end of this article says, we really need to develop more of a strategy to help support all kids in different ways and really focus on some of those traumas and social influences of health. We need to make sure more, of, more children will have safe places to grow and thrive. For me, that's a yes, of course. But how do you do that? That's what I'd like you to respond to if you're willing. How do we do that? It seems so beautiful and kind of out there. What does a teacher do with that? those two sentences? Response? I can take a step. Shine, you look like you're going to speak back. <laughs> you know, I was just going to think about some of the measures that we have in place right now. Um, we have... I, you know, I, I can't talk to prior uh, pandemic, but we do have lots of things in place to catch those. You know, somebody, I, and I apologize. Oh, it was Alejandro that was saying those invites. We've got things in place that kids are sending as invites and we're catching those invites. Um, and that's simple district processes such as, um, you know, we have, um, a, a, a program that catches when a child just even types a word um, into a district device. And that could be at home, it could be at school. When they're, when they're in their student portal, 
we will get then a stop it message to say this message, this child has typed this message and we can jump on that straight away. And it's really talking to what Alejandra said earlier, you know, sometimes kids are giving those those invites, those invitations to, hey, I need help. And so we have those systems in place. And if they put that, put something there, we can jump on that. We can get to that child and we can help them and then do all of the risk assessments that are needed, inform parents and get them the supports that they are, they need at that time. And I cannot begin to tell you how powerful that is and how many times we have to do that, but it's of such huge value. And I think it's, it really helps. It really helps to get there and help those children in the moment right there and then. In addition to that, one of the things we do is it's, it's educating, not just the students, but the teachers as well, you know, and the staff. You know, we have places where, um, for example, a, a stop it, you know, you, you're feeling bullied, you're feeling like something's not happening, not going well, or you just have an opportunity to anonymously report, but also just report and share your details as well. Another platform that we can use to then go ahead and target those kids immediately in that moment. And again, there's, they might not be on campus, but we still have access to that information even when they're off campus. So those in-time supports are super, super powerful and really help to be, for us as not only a school site and a district, to be proactive and get those children, listen to those invites and get those children the supports that they need. And I think um, as much as I was, I was having a conversation, like I would hate to have been growing up in today's society. I didn't have to deal with social media. You know, it was just school interactions or out of school interactions. I think our students, our youth of today have to deal with a whole lot more that I don't know if I would have been emotionally and socially ready to deal with um, that peer pressure and that those pressures from social media. So I think, um, you know, having those proactive things in place where they can go and they can report and sometimes they might just make a comment and we can jump on that and act on that. And, and we also do share that with staff and say, you know, those are opportunities that, you know, remind your students all the time that they can use those to, um, to advocate for themselves and to to be able to say hey I need help and it's okay it's great to ask for that help mm. um so you know that's very valuable I, I feel like having those supports in place helps us to be more proactive and help those students and those are that's what I was you know hoping to hear and Graham you'll you'll be next like specific things that is a, those are great beautiful sentences but without actual practical tools how do you do that mm -hmm. and that's that's the big question right now Graham thank you Shine you're welcome oh I am off you all right um so you know well, the basis for education is something that we're always trying to improve upon and if you go back historically and you look at back in medieval times when uh when a king would educate their son and it was the son I know <laughs> But um, when the king would educate their son, the, the, the curriculum was logic, rhetoric, theology, Latin, and falconry. Now, there's not much cause for falconry right now, but Latin was a common language, a vocabulary that everybody could speak and understand. Rhetoric was the ability to take your thoughts and share them 
logic was pausing for a moment and thinking about what you're going to say rather than reacting, responding versus reacting. And uh, then theology is, is better uh, belief in a greater power. So, you know, even though that's a thousand years ago, those are still kind of lessons that are important, that we have that, that ability to communicate what's going on. And how do you teach that? Um, a lot of it is actually stepping someone through it. It's it's role playing that discussion, and it can be a twenty minute for um, you know it could be a twenty minute talk to a parents club, it could be a twenty minute talk at a faculty meeting, or it could be a short in class presentation. Sharing that commonality of of you know hey we all struggle, so nobody's feeling alone. Uh, we all struggle in different ways, and. How do you share that and how do you get help? You know, Laura, you had asked the teachers, you know, one of the reasons that they don't ask a kid how they're feeling is they don't know what to do if the kid says, yes, I am suicidal. Mm -hmm. That fear of the unknown stops them asking the question. Now, we've, we have talked about suicide and that, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's a reality. But if we back away a little bit from that and just understand that almost all those kids we lose are fighting depression. And some of them have anxiety. And a lot of this starts with stress. So if we walk a little further back from just having a conversation about suicide and having a conversation about stress management and how to, how to you know, center yourself, how to pull things in. And it is so different for everybody. Um, we had a, a mindfulness exercise at a faculty meeting I was at and the lady wanted us to close our eyes and, and focus on our breathing. I had a very traumatic injury when I was in my 20s in which breathing I almost died <laughs> and so for me to close my eyes and hold my breath became a traumatic event and it taught me is what I may be saying what I think is helpful and I mean who doesn't want to breathe in and then follow that up with breathing out but even something like that can be traumatic. Right. And it's like, wow, even something that simple. So, you know, it's being respect, it's listening to the kids and what Alejandro was saying about looking for those invitations. It is knowing what to say next. If you say, hey, have you thought about hurting yourself? And they say, yes, you know, Mr. Oblivious would pull the fire alarm and panic. Or you can say, wow, is that, do you know when, you know, where you might do that. And that's that Columbia suicide severity training that comes out of Columbia University. Three questions. If every teacher knew those three questions and then knew in their community, their environment, if a student says yes, yes, and yes, where to go right away. Um, that alleviate, you know, that, that starts the conversation right away. I had to chuckle a little bit when you were talking about, you know, using technology to help on these kids. Um, Sandy Hook Promise had a, a um, they have a reporting um, thing that they put in. And uh, we, after losing a girl, um, the students came to school and they, uh, the school board and they were very upset and they wanted a separate meeting. So they got their separate meeting and they were just sharing how they had seen some signs and didn't know what to do with it. And, um, you know, the fact the administrators like, oh, yeah, well, we've got this, you know, this reporting software. All you have to do is anonymous. They go on there. And they go, oh, I'm not going to wrap my friend out. So all the adults in the room are looking at each other. Going, oh, we've got a well-intended method 
tool and so forth, and they're not using it because they're not addressing their perception of what they're doing. You're not ratting your friend out, you're saving your friend. And until we can change that talk, that they actually stopped using the app because so few people used it, uh, which is a shame. So, you, you know, I really it was in, in enjoying the way you're describing the, the technology, Shai, and using that to um, not land on the kid, but just come back and say, hey, I noticed maybe you could do a little help. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So it's getting conversation back in there. My wife just retired after 33 years in front of the chalkboard and <laughs> her perception of what it meant to connect with a child is a lot different than today's perception. And so she knows that. Yeah, wow. Well, congratulations to her. I know I got to meet her and say that, but 33 years is it's a beautiful uh, journey of serving. Yeah. Thank you, Graham. Um, appreciate this, even the tips on how to speak, how to respond. Um, I think it's really even okay to say, I don't really know what to say to you right now, but I want you to know I am right here with you and we're going to move through this together. I think it's perfectly fine to say that. If, if you said something to me that was hard for you and I, I was genuine, it was like, I don't even know how to respond. And I just want you to know I'm right here to do this together. I mean, would that chase you away? Or would you feel like, okay, I'm still, I don't know what we're doing either, but at least I feel safe doing it with this person. Mm -hmm. and now someone's walking alongside you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, oh. Sorry, I just wanted to say, jumping off that, you know, I think it's important to know protocols. Like, you know, um, for example, if the teacher is there, might not be able to help you. But here we have a protocol in place. So you shared that with me. I'm going to put you in touch with the next person that's going to be able to get you the supports you need. Um, and then there is that, specifically in my district, there is that um, the protocols in place should that child make a statement so they're not just left hanging and then they can get the supports that they need um, so I think those are really you know getting everything in place and having those protocols and following through with them super important mm -hmm. yeah, and I, I think um, you know piggybacking on what you know both of you were mentioning and 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 Shine, you mentioned something that I was thinking, and it was about like the pressures haven't shifted from when we were all in in middle school. They're the same exact ones. I mean, if you ask an adult, what were you scared of when you were in middle school? It's like fitting in, making friends, uh, figuring out all these different, you know, how to dress myself, identity, right? Those really haven't, if you ask a young person now, all those things are very similar, except the fact that now, like, let's say you got in a fight at school or you're being teased or you're being bullied, that actually goes home with you. And, you know, there's social media and it's, you know, more amplified than it was when we were all in middle school. Right. And, and, and that, you know, when you mentioned that, that, that completely like um, resonated with me because, you know, we would, I would do these activities with young people and we would have the adults come in. And, and the reason why I'm mentioning that is, 
you know, what can what can educators, and that includes everybody that works at a district, at the district level, at the site level, um, you know, behavioral wellness, right? And incorporating all those different elements that do work with young people and families and communities. I think it's really important that, you know, all of us have uh, a sense of uh, expertise in something. And I think really incorporating all of those elements, right, can really level up um, how, how the communication with, with folks around this time of the year really is going to impact them. And I think when it comes to this time of the year, a lot of adults get, you know, stressed out, right, whether it's you know, the holidays, and, and so do students and teachers and everyone that's involved in this ecosystem, right? Um, and one thing that came to mind um, is really asking, and I know, you know, there's parent groups, you know, you have your ELACs, you have your school site council, and you have your um, different leadership groups. And, and I know it's very hard to get them all in one place, right, your PTAs, etc. And you have, you know, depending on, you know, how big your school is, or how little it is, or, you know, where it lands on the, you know, the county or whatever. Um, I think it's really incorporating, you know, voices. And around this time, incorporating voices could really create um, and shift that narrative of around the holidays. And it's like, what do you, what is it that you would like to see? What was it that you would like to see? And, and what can I do in my role to, to, to make that happen? Right. And including, and including, you know, um, those folks that are their first, you know, face that they see in the morning, whether it's your admin assistants or your, um, uh, yard, uh, your yard folks that are really, you know, they have that firsthand experience with the student. And oftentimes they're the ones that hear what's going on. And I think incorporating them or, you know, if, if the district requires busing or transportation, right, it's really incorporating. And I think it takes, you know, leadership, you know, those that are in that leadership and really figuring out like, where do, where can we all come in together and figure out, you know, strategically and intentionally what how how this season is going to shape for following seasons and the seasons after that and the seasons after that but at least everyone had something that they contributed to and it's not just checking out boxes or etc but it's more about you know having them have their voice because a student is going to have their expertise their student that's their expert that they're an expert in, at this point they they know what they're feeling and nobody could take away, no one could take away that, you know, no one could take away somebody's experience, right? So I think incorporating an element um, and those teachers will know which ones are are their frequent uh, that they would really wanna, you know, hone in and, and have staff from different realms, um, especially if, if, you know, if you're an administrator, you know, you want your site to be tight um, and you want it to, to, to incorporate all the pieces. And, and I think during the holidays that it, it can get really stressful and added, you know, that added stress when you could all just, and I think collaboration is key, right? Collaboration is, is key and what can, what can be done. And, and I think there is leverage when it comes to, um, to incorporating that message when it comes to the holidays and what is it that the student wants to see and, and, and tap into different leadership groups or just even different groups that are on campus 
and and ask them you know what is it that you want to see like come you know let's let's meet up let's let's do a quick powwow let's do I'll provide the space there's a space that you all could come in and that's building that trust so when there's motivation for them to to want to come back the following year and the year after that and the year after that, especially, you know, at the K-8s, you know, you're going to be with them. They're going to be there for you for a while. So <laughs> start building them up. And that's, we call it, in, in youth development, we call it hearts youth, you know, hearts ladder and, and really adding them as a, you know, that creates sustainability and, 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 um, and engagement. I love what you said, Alejandra. Thank you for your share there around collaboration. And Shine, you have a staff, right? You get to, you get to be the one in the in this group that has staff meetings. And you know, I wonder what it would be like to say for ten minutes, whether there's one staff meeting before or through the holidays, or or well, there want you know five, whatever. You know, for ten minutes, we're going to talk about what we can do to make sure we're reaching all kids. During the holidays, those who want to celebrate big and are just like, you know, just counting down the days and those who it reminds them of somebody they lost and it's a sad time. Um, and, and just like let everybody be a part of the solution, because I agree with you around intelligence and, and being smart, Alejandra, we are smart together. And when we listen to each other, the most magical things um, come up, whether it's out of kids' mouths or out of, you know, our administration or just our team and bring bring everybody in. How are we making sure our kids are good, um, not only through the holidays, but as they come right now, we are going to be dealing with some additional pressure on the top of research that says there is a mental health crisis. Um, thank you, Graham and Alejandra and Shine for being with us today. And thank you, Cal Hope for Cal Hope Schools Initiative for being the funder to make this possible for all of you and your amazing tips and your stories that are so heartfelt um, serving our education system from the student to all of those who serve them. Um, wishing you, you know, amazing holidays, whatever they be for you. Yeah. And um, thank you for joining us uh, tonight. And uh, I look forward to crossing paths again many times. So I did, I had to, I had to do that kind of little outro. I, I just, yeah. I, I didn't do an intro. So Tanner <laughs> captured that he can put it wherever. And <laughs> I just want to offer, if you need to go, that's great. If you have final thoughts, that's great. I just wanted to acknowledge that we're late and I'm sorry for that. You're so <laughs> captivating. And, and thank you for the idea because I wrote that down and we'll be doing that. You know, we, we do, we're actually in the process. I think I have to go buy a couple of turkeys um, of uh meeting some of our most needier kids we we definitely do like the big baskets for them um for thanksgiving and at christmas we do uh valentines and we do um mm -hmm. uh, easter baskets and you know and it that's really driven by our teachers um but it just got me thinking i you know just how to involve them last year 
these kids got to I cried so much last Christmas I just have to share this with you I was like um we we asked children you know these most needy kids in our school I like what pick anything pick anything what would you like for Christmas and we were going to get them it and you know we got one kid like, a bike and sneakers and one kid and I I went home and I just cried <laughs> and it was it was like matching pajamas I mean I can't still share that story without getting emotional it's just so it's just so amazing like so thank you um Laurie for sharing that because you know I, I will spend the, the next like few weeks spending 10 minutes of thinking how like we've, is this part of air right now it's not going to be shared like we just had a, a child who's lost her dad like how is that going to impact her over Christmas break and and so mm -hmm. you know it's just um so thank you for that tip <laughs> is where I was going with that <laughs> and, now I need to and we will we won't um make we'll make sure that you know a lost dad but you know there are well, we, I already spoke to that. Some of, some of our kids have lost somebody and that's the trigger or that's a sad thing for them. So we don't have to share that specific piece shine, but your story around that and matching pajamas, you know, <laughs> and like seriously matching pajamas is one thing that you want in the world. Like, wow. You know, I would have thought like most kids elaborate things like I want a PSP, like no kid asks for an uh, no kid asked for an electronic divide like the BSB or PlayStation or anything like that. It was it was things like matching pajamas or, you know, when nothing elaborate, which I, I'm so surprised about, you know. You know, we got a drone, but you know, even those are quite fairly inexpensive, right? And uh, just amazing, yeah. you know. Just so. even socks, socks yeah, go a long socks. way. Yeah, you know, toothbrushes, you know, just having, I mean. And I think that when students or families feel support and loved and not helped, yes, it's a very different thing. And it's a subtle nuance. It's a difference between a gentle meeting somebody in eye contact and staring at them. Helping feels insulting and almost for many people, especially certain cultures, right? But when people just feel loved and seen, then mm -hmm. it's easier to accept support. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very different thing. Graham, you're nodding. Would you like to share anything? Um, so every year, Fresno sends out a little message to, the, to, to all school children in the county. And um, it goes home with them. And then it's emailed to the parents. And it is how to deal with holiday stress. And, you know, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. And I can forward this to you, Laura, if you want to share it out. But it's plan ahead. You know, it's talking about what's going to happen. Um, looking at the risk, you know, what's like someone who's just lost a parent or somebody or somebody's incarcerated. You know, that those are really traumatic times. The ones, it's the kids who feel left out that, that struggle perhaps the most. And then, you know, helping those emotions and starting new traditions, you know, new traditions. So, hey, you know what? We're going to go to Chinese food. What? You know, <laughs> we're going to we're going to break it up a little bit. And um, then just that it's normal. Whatever they're experiencing is normal. Yep. And, and it's perfectly fine. Right. Like it's yes. it's normal and it's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And then they follow that up with resources for parents, for educators, and for teens, because sometimes the parent is the problem. 
mm -hmm. right? Sometimes the team can't go, you know, to someone close. So it's just giving him those outs. Uh, but I always thought that was a good thing to kind of set the tone of, yeah, it can be stressful and, um, you know, focus on the good. So focusing yeah. on the good, making that connection. Um, it's always been, you know, having moved so many times, we had so many different traditional holidays. You know, we, we're like, you do what? You know, a goat? And so it, it was just a, a different thing. But it, it really, um, whatever it was, it was okay. It was okay. So yeah. that's all good. Laura, I want to thank you for getting us together and the work yeah. you do. Um, you know, a voice out there, you know, we just people can click on it and, and hear that voice. I'm eager to see your TikToks. And I didn't want to see you dance once. <laughs> <laughs> that might need wine. <laughs> Off the record. Off the record. Alejandra, Graham, thank you for joining us. Like, and thank you for that appreciation. Like you, you both, all four, three of you have given us almost two hours of your afternoon. And, you know, Tanner and I'm like, I don't even know if we'll have a lot to say for an hour. He's like, oh, you might go an hour and a half and now we're <laughs> even over that. So uh, <laughs> I, I know I, I got some final thoughts from Shine and, and Graham. Alejandra, do you have anything you'd like to close with? Yeah, just, you know, thank you for, again, for providing that space, the virtual space, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, I know I'm not in the, in a, you know, at the, you know, site level or even at the county office of education, but I think, um, I think hearing, you know, shared experiences, I think it's something that even for my overall wellness, it, it's, it's, uh, it feels good, right? It feels good to, to be able to, to be in spaces like this and share my, uh, share my experiences and, and really, you know, re it resonates with, you know, a lot of the work that has led me to be in the position that I am right now, currently and presently, um, you know, thinking about the holidays and, and, and whenever I do think about the holidays, I actually do think about, you know, working with my families that I would, you know, frequent with and, um, and not necessarily, helping them right but I think because um they're part of the team you know they're part of the team and um and being part of the the healing process and you know healing is non-linear right and um you know remembering remembering when I would you know go and and gather up all these gifts right and and ask teachers and and uh for support and this is something that they didn't have to do right it's just something that you know you know, an ask was just, you know, being put out on the table. Um, and, and some of these parents didn't even know these teachers, you know, that there were teachers that, you know, their, their students weren't even in that teacher's class, you know, it was a whole different grade level, whatever. Um, but I think seeing a familiar face and knowing and, and um, knowing that someone cared enough to go ahead and do this, I think was also part of the reconnection with the school and the environment and, um, knowing letting the parent know that hey we're we're here and we're we're part of the village like um shine mentioned you know this is the village and um for a lot of parents the the school is their first resource mm -hmm. yeah so but thank you yeah thank thank you all and uh if we don't cross paths prior happy holidays all of that yeah, whatever one you celebrate <laughs>
Happy holidays, everybody. Happy talk holidays. Soon. And, and stay, um, stay connected to us because we've got some kid and adult training programs coming up funded fully by the state. So they will not cost anything. Um, Count except, me in. <laughs> except, well, yes. We have one that's in March. It'll be a two-day train the trainer in building trusted spaces all about this. For adults, free, just travel would have to be handled, but um, two-day training at no cost. So um, yeah, so that's one. And then a, a youth and adult program where we're going to bring some middle school eighth graders to low to 10th graders with adults from school, train separate, come and share, train separate, come and share. How do we start talking to, with each other, listening to each other from a place of desire to understand and move forward rather than to, you know, for the split wedges. So some things coming up that'll be really great. And thank you to Cal Hope Schools Initiative for making all of this possible. Go Cal Hope. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Bye everybody. Bye, Bye team. Have a great day and a happy holidays.